Greetings, friends. Uncle Mike here. And we got a special little treat today because we've got a guest. Am I the treat? <laughs> You're the treat. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, that is fun. So our guest today is Christy. Mm -hmm. Christy, would you like to say hi to the camera? Hi, camera. And, and friends. And friends. Mm -hmm. It's strange to do this, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because there are real people on the other side somewhere watching this mm -hmm. at a time different than us recording, mm -hmm. but we have to act as if they're there right now. <laughs> it's really unnatural in certain ways. Yes, that just makes my heart race. Yeah, it, it takes a while. Uh, I still, to this date, do a lot mm -hmm. of false starts before I actually am able to get going whenever I do a recording. Mm. You know, I prefer an audience of 500 than a camera. Totally, <laughs> totally, totally, totally. And I've done that, but the camera is like, maybe it's because it's an audience of potentially 5,000. Uh, I think it's the fact that there's no feedback. Oh, yeah, we're in like a vacuum. Right, this, feels, this doesn't feel real. Oh, yeah. But there's a knowing. Okay. Okay. So, mm -hmm. that being said, thank you for joining me today. Mm -hmm. And what we're going to do today, friends, mm -hmm. is there's a, there's a book which I've made reference to mm -hmm. many mm -hmm. times over the years. The, the book is called A Story Waiting to Pierce You, Mongolia, Tibet, and the Destiny of the Western World. And it's written by Peter Kingsley. And you and I mm -hmm. are going to read it. Together. Together. I'm curious why you've brought the book up so many times in the past. Ah. Uh, for many reasons, mm -hmm. it's meaningful. You've brought it up on this podcast? This podcast, other podcasts, okay. yes. It's a, it's a <clears throat> touch point, both in terms of how it came into my life, mm. Mm. but then also the story itself. Mm. And I've brought it up in the past because whatever I was talking about at the time, this book made reference. It was mm. a, oh, whatever, the, whatever that detail was I was talking about, <clears throat> I was able to use this story as an example mm -hmm. for why there's legitimacy or, or maybe mm -hmm. greater clarity into the point mm -hmm. I was trying to make at that time. Is it at all situated in like a handbook for the apocalypse? Would this be like an insert in the handbook? So, so okay, so yes. <laughs> so this, we're, we're recording this for video, but this is also going to be on audio. Yes. And the audio is the, the, the podcast, the audio-only podcast, which I do with Mark Steves, mm -hmm. titled Your Handbook for the Apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who watched, who are watching this as a video, the videos get considerably more eyeballs than people who listen to mm -hmm. the, the podcast. So I know that a lot of people don't even know the podcast exists, that's what I'm trying to say, oh. who, who are watching this right now. So that being said, there's a podcast, it's called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, and yes, like on a surface level, mm -hmm. this book is about the rise and falls of civilizations. The turning of apocalypses. The turning of apocalypses. Apolo Apocalypse I? 
Yes, Apocalypse is, um, oh, I can't remember what it is. And, uh, it, someone broke that word down from us uh, about it being elliptical and like oh, the circular wow. nature. But Apocalypse actually means revealing. Like that's what an apocalypse is. Revealing. A revealing. Wow. So the story, the biblical mm -hmm. context mm -hmm. is the apocalypse marks mm -hmm. the end of an age, however you want to define yeah. an age, and when that age occurs, mm -hmm. there's a revelation, a revealing. Or an unveiling. Or an unveiling. <laughs> All, exactly, exactly. So, so this book <clears throat> talks about that concept mm -hmm. in a different time, uh -huh. like the rising and falling of civilization. So... It kind of makes sense that way in terms of if the book is, or the podcast uh -huh. is called Your Handbook for the Apocalypse and mm -hmm. like it's apocalyptic. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. to me, mm -hmm. there's, a, there's something deeper within the story. Mm -hmm. More mystical, more, and what I mean by mystical, I mean mystery. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if we can necessarily define what that is, but you can feel it. Mm -hmm. But it ties into that podcast on that level as well. I think that your video that you recorded yesterday will probably go out before this video. Okay. So I don't think that, that I'm, I don't think this is a, um, what's that called when you give away the spoiler? Spoiler. I don't think this is a spoiler. Okay. Um, <clears throat> there's so many integration points here. What were you just saying about this? About how it ties in apocalypse like as a concept of apocalypse yeah. and cycles. Yeah. And then there's also multiple meanings within the book. Like or, or multiple purposes. Like there's the actual surface level story. Oh, I remember. So there's a part in the video that you recorded yesterday that I caught where you talk oh, and you also said this to the students, the college students, that when you collapse the false timeline, mm -hmm. um, there's something else underneath you. There's something that catches you. Right. I mean, you're, you're speaking to f having faith a bit mm -hmm. in, like, the things beyond us mm -hmm. and creating a timeline around what's seeable and knowable mm -hmm. and real rhythms and mm -hmm. real organic rhythms. Um, that is what this book does. Okay. This book takes Apocalypse, which is, like, full of false timelines, or full of, like, narratives. Mm -hmm. All the apocalyptic, apocalyptic narratives. Right. Right? It kind of, like, speaks to that. Okay. But it also brings in, and it says, like, there's this, like, underlying, like, river or ravine mm. that, like, all of those apocalyptic narratives crumble down into. Mm -hmm. And then you and I were talking about another integration point, because you've done Hijack, the mm -hmm. Hijacking Reality series, like, one, two, three, four, yes. five. Maybe five. <laughs> we were talking about hijacking, and in, in the books, a lot of the books that I've been reading and blogging about, they talk about reseeding. Okay. Like the reseeding of life. And then. S E E D or C or both? S E E D. But okay. I like, I also like the other reseed. Right. Because it talks about the ebb and flow. Well, reseed is reveal. Yes. Like, like it's apocalyptic. And unveil. And um, this book, I've read this book. Um, this book came to you in a way that a lot of the books that I'm like writing about and breaking apart by blog are, it, they came to me in that way. Mm -hmm. So there's something in the book itself besides the words and, and the, the academia of it that is speaking to this like 
a spirit. There's like a spirit that comes alive. Mm -hmm. It just like comes alive and enters into mm -hmm. your life, and that's the mystery. It's like, mm -hmm. how is this book, like actually, it's now like rearranging my life somehow, mm -hmm. or it's bringing. I mean, I think that we'll get to see your arrow. Mm -hmm. It brings, like, brings to... It actually is, like, pointing to things in your life and being like, see that? That's mm -hmm. what that is. Mm -hmm. See this? This this fits here. So anyways, hijacking, receding, your books, my books, all that you've done, like, all the work that you've done, kind of, like, I feel like if you could boil it all down, this book, like, hits the, the basic elements of hijacking, mm -hmm. receding life mm -hmm. in the cycle, right, and then the mystery. Like that, this right, is alchemy. Right, receding right. and hijacking, that's all alchemy tools. Right. And then you drop down into like all of that. Right. Just, it's a mystery. Right, <laughs> right. All of that just to say. And, and what you have, and all you can do is have faith. Yeah. Like it's right, a mystery. Right. And you're not going to solve it. You're no. not going to solve it. Yeah. At the very best, you can understand that it's a ride yes and you can understand kind of how the ride works yes and yes. so i want to before we get into this i want to yeah. i want to talk about to me the importance of stories and narratives because mm -hmm. i love to tell mm -hmm. stories mm -hmm. and at the same time i'm the biggest critic of stories and the fact that i'm like all stories are bullshit because they could all be retold like mm -hmm. every story mm -hmm. even like the most factual description of what occurred mm -hmm. there is an equally factual description of that same event uh -huh. where like the good guys are the bad guys and then Absolutely. the uh, so yeah. so there's no like okay so going back to what you said about apocalypse about how apocalypse in our current mm -hmm. in our current bibli like Bible-based world, whether or not you're a follower of the Bible or not, like, or whether you're a Jew, Christian, or Muslim, like the Bible has major, major influence on mm -hmm. so much of mm -hmm. how structure mm -hmm. or the structure of our reality, and that stories or that Bible is where we get a lot of this like apocalypse, revelation, mm -hmm. and that sort of mm -hmm. stuff, and that comes with baggage. Mm -hmm. It comes with all sorts of baggage, mm -hmm. um, but it's just a story. Mm -hmm. Like it may point to mm -hmm. what this book is about, the rising and falling of civilization, mm -hmm. which is ebbs and flows of life, the mm -hmm. receding of life and uh -huh. the receding of life. And that and may the be... hijacks. And the hijack. So this is what the hijack is to me and what yeah. I wanted to go to. Like, well, what do you mean, Mike, by, by hijack? I'm like, well, I'm giving you a story. Uh -huh. And I'm telling you this is the narrative, which is the true narrative. Uh -huh. And uh -huh. when I'm telling you this is the true narrative, that's me hijacking it. That's uh -huh. me taking away your ability to come up with your own story. Yeah. Because this is, this is what I think why stories are so important to me as a storyteller and as someone who is uh, a student of consciousness and a student of the mystery, is the realization that our human experiences are grounded in stories. Mm -hmm. And all of those stories are going to fall apart and that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's a nature of it. Yeah. And so they all crumble down. They're going to the crumble river, down. They're all going to crumble the down. And that's the part mystery. of it. And that's part of it. And so once you yes. begin to realize that, yeah. then you can become like, okay, well, when they're hijacking it, they're telling me a scary story, uh, and like, oh, that scares me, uh, and like, and the fear, uh -huh, the fear uh -huh. is the antithesis of the faith of the experience. Yes. Right? Yes. It's like the fear is like the beating heart or yes. the like the like the, 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 the 
And when we can begin to recognize the nature of stories and maybe receive them or tell them differently where maybe they're empowering, but then also not bullshitting ourselves uh -huh. by saying like, okay, well, this has to be true. Right, right. The only thing that's true is the story that you believe is going to become your inner world, which is your reference point for your experience. What is undoubtedly happening is our civilization is receding right now. <laughs> And there's going to be another story, right. and we could choose the stories, and in a way, you know, when we're really, really responsible for ourselves, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're our own storytelling. Mm. And that would be a sovereign being. And <laughs> that would be a sovereign being. And I like what you say when we do Fellowship of the Boards um, circles, mm -hmm. uh, beyond any of the stories. A way that you can touch the mystery, mm -hmm. not know it, right. but the a way you can touch it and be held is the feet under my ground and mm -hmm. the skies above, right. or you say this whatever heavenly right. bodies, right. stars right. above. Right. Um, there is a way for our bodies to feel safe mm. amidst the swirling of the storytelling, right? Because right? the stories are ebbing, flowing, receding, hijacking. Even when we have a story that's like centered in our being, mm -hmm. like even that's vulnerable to crumbling and falling apart. And when that does, it's like, all right, I still have ground beneath my feet and there's still like the stars above me. Right. And that's the body's story. Oh my gosh, which ties in like the rewilding consciousness. And right. I just want to create a compendium of all your work and integrate it <laughs> and say like, you know what? You could just write your own story. You could write your own story, and I want to say And you this. do write your own stories. <laughs> and, and we do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, hmm. So, when the body, mm. when the body feels like you know, when the body story is like I don't feel good in my yeah. body, mm -hmm. or like my body's like falling apart, or my body's not working, and all of that sort of stuff is when it's a nice time to go into the mental stories. Uh-huh. And then when the mental stories are, like, too overwhelming, ah. and, like, oh, my goodness, like, what well, this could happen, and that could happen, and that happened, that's when you go into the body story. I'm like, okay. And it's like this, we, uh -huh. could, we could dance uh -huh. back and forth between them, like, yeah. when we don't feel integrated. From the mind, mm -hmm. um, I'm thinking about the note cards you made, mm -hmm. like the energy mm -hmm. flip, flip note, uh, what do you call that when you're studying in college? Flashcards. Okay. Right, the energy flashcards that you made. Okay. And the network, um, the network of energy around the human body. Mm -hmm. When our body gets frightened and our mm -hmm. nervous system freaks out, like the mind kicks in. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just basic like fight or flight. The, right. The, the nervous system science. What I was hearing next is actually the mind then sends out energy to the field mm -hmm. and starts to sense like the energy in your mm -hmm. field and then you start to like emotions. Mm -hmm. You get charges, right? Mm -hmm. Like your, your field gets charged. You feel sad or you feel angry or you feel excited. So now the body has essentially like the body and mind have collaborated together to escape your presence mm -hmm. out into your field. Mm -hmm. And one could say that's dissociation or disembodiment, but also I think that's like a way that the body and the mind are going out into your field and being like, there's something in your field you need to take care of. Go out here and take care of it and come back in. Okay. Right? Right. Like something like that, body, mind. Um, I mean, it's like almost like it sounds to me like a shamanic experience. 
which is what a story waiting to, I'm sorry, I didn't right. mean to hit the books right. hard. Right. A story waiting to pierce you talks about being in that stillness. Right. Carrying yourself as a shaman. Everyone right. is their own shaman. Right. And when we can learn to like work that circuit. Right. Oh, I'm outside of myself to take care of something. Let me take care of it and come back in. Okay. Right. That's the stillness. Okay. That that like avarice right. walks in. Right. That's the ecstasy. I was the thinking, ecstasy. The, the ecstasy. Yes. So I was thinking about this the Ooh. other day. We'll get into this in the book. Is like this idea, like the word ecstasy is used frequently in this book. And then the question has to come to, if you're, uh -huh. if you're a thinking person, uh -huh. if you're uh -huh. engaged in, in the narratives of your life, like, what does ecstasy mean? Mm -hmm. like, like, are you talking about orgasm? Like, that's mm -hmm. what most people would mm -hmm. go to. Mm -hmm. Are you talking about, like, being, like, high on DMT? Mm -hmm. Like, people could go to mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Or is it something else? And so, like, to me, <clears throat> pondering this sort of question of like ecstasy, particularly in the context of this book, is it is you are no longer t you are no longer caught up in your own story. Yeah. You are caught up in the field and the field, the field. and yes. the field is carrying you. Yes. And that is like and that's where the magic yes. happens. Yes. Um right. because this doesn't necessarily mean something's wrong. Right. Like going from body to mind to out here. Right. Sometimes you're going into the astral body, which is right. like more immediately connected to like the oneness of right. all things beyond all dualism. And when you're and out of this, when you're out of this, is that state of ecstasy. Yeah. And the, that's when, like, the faith and the magic and all this stuff happens. <sighs> One last point before. Because, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> um, so why is the podcast called Your Handbook to the Apocalypse? Why is it called Hijacking Reality? Mm -hmm. Because there is an undeniable, like, if you're paying attention, there's an mm -hmm. undeniable fact that it's all changing right mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. And... Mm -hmm. Um, if you're not freaking out, mm -hmm. if you're not freaking mm -hmm. out right mm -hmm. now, it's because of one or two things. Mm -hmm. You are, um, so spiritually evolved that you're able to, like all the stuff we're talking about, like, yeah, of course, that's, you know, I'm living in the field in that. Yeah. Or you're so disconnected from mm -hmm. it that you're just like, you know, you're on all of the, all of the things that society, society is built into it. There's all of these things to numb your system so that you don't realize, like, you should be freaking mm -hmm. out right now. But everyone who's not in those extremes, you should be freaking out right now because <laughs> it's changing because that's a, because that... You should, when I'm saying should, would, you it know, would be silly. It would response. be an appropriate response. But the fact of the matter is, this is just part of the ebb and the flow of yes, this. Yes, and this is where, yes. like, the, the, like, finding mm -hmm. the faith in this thing that's beneath the story. Mm -hmm. And when you could mm -hmm. get there, mm -hmm. and how you get there is, like, all of these different techniques. And part of it is mental. Like, oh, we're just telling the story. Yeah. Is, like, then you can go and be carried by it during this transitory time. And hopefully, I mean, this is Mike's language, um, not necessarily be pulled into the Klaus Schwab New World Order next version, but an actual, like, yeah. meta-paradigm yes, shift. Yes, yes. My last point okay. is that ecstasy is not just an out-of-body experience. All right. If, we, if you can get to that state, and you like can keep your body open and mm -hmm. relaxed, effortless power, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You can actually like that. That's the embodied experience of ecstasy, mm -hmm. right? Because this body is meant to feel really good. Really good. Really good. Not just orgasm, right? Right. But like, like all through your connective tissue right. and your muscles and your right. organs, like right. meant to like vibrate with vitality right. and energy. Right. right. That's what we're an antenna. 
right. for the earth right. and the stars. Anyways, mm -hmm. so that's my final point. Is okay. That, is, is that. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. And that's what I like to help people do. That's is, what you help is, people do. And that's what I like to do for myself is all the practices and ways like that we can take care of this body so mm -hmm. that we can find places of ecstasy, body, mind, heart, soul, mm -hmm. and then bring it in and like feel, you know, mm -hmm. like those things. Yeah, like those things. <laughs> all right, we should read the book. All right, so we're going to begin with the foreword. And so we'll, yes. All right, we're going to be handing the book yeah. back and forth. And there'll be times where we're going to pause because we've got to say something. We've got to say something. And that's just going to be how it's going to be. That's just how, yeah. All right. Okay. So why don't you begin? Oh, wait. Can what? I say one more thing? Of course you can. So Michael and I went to the National Shrine, the Grotto de Lourdes, serendipitously on the anniversary of Grotto de Lourdes 165 years ago. Mm -hmm. 56. Mm -hmm. um, what, and what's the Grotto? Grotto de Lourdes. Um, Grotto de Lourdes is in France. It is the place known for um, the sighting of an apparition of Mother Mary. Mm -hmm. And the Catholic Church said, yes, indeed, mm -hmm. that happened. Because mm -hmm. um, I'm sure lots of people have seen right. apparitions of, of Mother Mary. We were just coming home from a, a visit to Berkeley Springs, just a dip in the healing waters. And it was very, like, off the cuff, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and while we were there, it happened to be the anniversary mm -hmm. of, of the Grotto de Lourdes in France. Mm -hmm. So this is like a replica uh, grotto here in Maryland, Maryland. Mm -hmm. um, and so we saw a really um, poignant... I want to just read the last line of this. <clears throat> this was a plaque which was the shrine the 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 place which we went to the national shrine mm -hmm. is like it's a big catholic sort of thing with like lots of statues and like if i'm not a catholic but i'm familiar enough with the experience mm -hmm. it's kind of like an outside church and there's plaques with it which kind of explain yeah. what you're looking at and so you're going to yes. read you're going to read one of the plaques yes i'm just going to read the bottom part of it and this is so meaningful to me because it ties my work into this book, mm -hmm. which is such a simple, boiled-down reflection of your work. Like, this is kind of where we intersect. Okay. Um, Mary, as well as Christ, suffered in advance the bitterness of the passion. Suffered in advance the bitterness of the passion. Shortly after Christ's birth, the aged prophet Simeon while holding the infant Savior in his arms, promised Mary a life filled with suffering. Thy own soul a sword shall pierce, he prophesied. And so we have a story waiting to pierce us. Can you read that last, the last line about pierce? Mm -hmm. Thy own soul, uh -huh. thy own soul, a sword shall pierce. So a sword is going to pierce thy own soul. I mean, I think it's open to each person's interpretation. So, so, so certainly, so certainly, like the the Catholic Church, like really all the religions, like like they are a huge tinderbox, and that's like a whole nother. And 
and I certainly have like that that story to me is like a narrative like oh yeah your whole life is suffering like that to me is goes in antithesis of what you were just saying about this body I know, uh, but I know that being it. said that being said you, the 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 line or the word mm. pierce yeah and so maybe we'll come back to this like at the end of reading this this story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because this I believe is empowering and in a lot of ways like that, the context of the organization it's tied to and, and some of the, the, the more questionable elements, I, I want to go and touch that a little bit later. Yeah, passion and piercing pa- and suffering. And, and I'm pretty certain passion, the actual definition, is suffering. The passion uh-huh, of Christ uh-huh, is the uh-huh, suffering of Christ uh-huh, when you put uh-huh. the word passion. Uh-huh. And then when we think about our, like, every passion, ecstasy, uh, all of these words. Oh, my help, God, and what culture has done. And what, co- oh. exactly, hijacking of reality. All right. I'm excited to read this. All right, so let's go. Let's go. A story waiting to pierce you. Right. To pierce us. This is the foreword. The chapters are the aim, the journey, the goal, the view, and the endless joy. Speaking of ecstasy. And now what's going to become of us without the barbarians? Those people, they could have offered some kind of solution, might have been our unbinding. Can you say that name? It's a quote by Constantinos Kavafis. Kavafis. Alexandria, Egypt, 1898. Do you want to say anything about that quote? Mm-hmm. Okay. And the last quote before the forward is The last stages are here now. The purifiers are coming. The purifiers are coming. The purifiers are among us. Oh, that's my quote. Gotcha. That's Thomas. Bani, how do you say that name? Banyakya. Ben, yeah, yes. Banyakya. I've never ho- been asked for enunciation before. Oh. I'm the worst, <laughs> so I'm finding this rather funny. <laughs> so he is a third Hopi Mesa uh, from Arizona, and that's 1986. Mm. The the last stages are here now. Reminds me of I worked with a young woman from Lehigh University, and she studied capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so she would talk to me about, she would always say, like, you know, in, like, the late-stage capitalism society that we're in. Um, And so I got to learn so much from her Mm -hmm. about, like, capitalism at the the start is really ideal. Mm -hmm. And then, but she's like, but late-stage capitalism Mm -hmm. is, like, it's shit for everyone, really. Mm -hmm. So anyways, that just reminds me. So for those at the very top. Right. This is like the point zero one percent If even. If even. Right. Okay. Forward. <clears throat> My spiritual name is Beautiful Painted Arrow in the language of north-central New Mexico, Picurus Pueblo Indians. It is pronounced... Oh, here we go. It is pronounced Slete Koye. Flight of the rainbow people leaving their mark as they travel into a double rainbow connecting Mother Earth and Father Sky. Oh. I want to say something about that, but it's only the first sentence. I feel honored to write this introduction for an elder brother 
Peter Kingsley. Oh, okay, so this guy's name is the guy's name who wrote the foreword. Mm -hmm. A story waiting to pierce you is a story for us all. I was not able to read this book. It was impossible to read as I usually would, silently to myself. How I do, that we're reading it together out loud. Instead of reading it, I had to sing it out loud, because this book is a magnificent song. It is not just a masterpiece written by a master of English prose. It is a true encanto, an incantation. Its rhythm is beautiful, amazingly beautiful. Its cadence, fantastic. Most books are pretty boring, just facts and information. But this book is pure music. It sings to the reader. This is the real thing. In each paragraph of the book, the spirit is there. This is what the native people of the Americas have been trying to say, but were never permitted to. This song is the song of wisdom that we native people have not been allowed to sing. This book is not just Peter Kingsley's wisdom. It is their wisdom, our wisdom. And it needs to be spoken, to be sung and heard again for the sake of the young ones. <clears throat> because he does what needs to be done and says what has to be heard. I consider Peter Kingsley to be one of the most courageous people on the planet at this moment. When making a careful study and review of this book, I suddenly realized that he is teaching us about the reality of the ancient mysteries, reaching from our past into the present moment. Because he is an interpreter of mysteries, I began to read those mysteries as beings and vibrations. And as I began to read, they slowly and gently came out of the pages, saying, Thank you for rediscovering us. It is good to be home. I heard voices as though from a faraway place. The mysteries came, nine of them, and I wrote them as they appeared inside my senses. Whew. Every time I read this book, more and more pops out. Number one, first mystery, hyperborea. Hyperborea um, means or is arm of awareness, moving straight as an arrow, leaving as it travels, sparks of delight, a radiance for eyes to see, a sun giving placement to a pure clarity. Mystery number two, Aberus, Skywalker. He is, or that means, the creator of trails made of wisdom to follow to find heavenly streams of light. Mystery number three, the Avars, as a group of people, meaning to come from the heavens to wash the nighttime moons. Wait, let me read that again. To come from the heavens to wash the nighttime moons. Mystery number four, in a circle, planting new universes. 
number five, Furbis. Capital P-H, Furbis, uh, is a word referring to flutterings of feathers in the direction of awakening those who still sleep. Mystery number six, gold, where divine beauty is enshrined full of knowing. Mystery number seven, Mongols. Uh, I wish we had our kitchen Mongol sitting right here. I'll we'll have to show that sometime. <clears throat> Mongols, bringers of goodness to the people of all the directions. Mystery number eight, tulkis. I don't remember that word when I, from reading this, but um, it refers to crystallized essences of carrying, lying on planet Earth, covered only by a blanket of sky. Mystery number nine, Hermotimus. I believe he was a philosopher. I'm pretty sure. You don't remember? Oh, Hermotimus, a caretaker of perceptions, of reflections, of imaginations. I do not use the number ten because the reader should be the one to add the tenth step. Soon life will no longer be as it was. Life will return to breath, matter, and movement, and then it will return, bringing a new creation. This book is a gift for our time. Thank you, Peter, thank you, Peter Kingsley, for all of us. Joseph Rael, Beautiful Painted Arrow, Marvel, Colorado. And that is the foreword. Anything to say? So the one thing I want to say, I'm, I'm going to go to the... Soon life will no longer be as it was. Life will return to breath, matter, and movement. And then it will return bringing a new creation. Uh, this book is a gift for our time. Um, apocalypse. That's why we're doing this. This is like, the, like look around. This is what it looks like. Look around, look around. Sorry, Alexander Hamilton drop. <laughs> um... Like, as we're recording this, like, the, the, the story of the moment, and, you know, if someone's watching this in four months or four years or what have you, like, you're like, what are you even talking about? But at this moment that we're recording it, all the people are talking about are, like, all these train derailments. Oh, right. Like, everything, it, like, yes. like, it's, like, we're in the moment, like, this is what it looks like when uh -huh. one... Mm -hmm. version of reality or civilization or whatever word you want to paradigm is collapsing as the new one is taking is going to come and take its place and that's uh -huh. what I think you and I are interested in talking about and that's what this book is about and it really at the end of the day is it's spoken to those who have enough awareness ears to hear and eyes to see at this moment to kind of find your space to yes. move through this this yes. transitory time yes. um, and maybe even more so participate in something which is much different and much greater than what this story actually like the story what this tells in my opinion is no has been the yes. same story over the past five thousand years yes. and a meta paradigm shift would be mm. different mm. than any of that is it Emily 
Who talks about the meta paradigm shift? Danny. Danny? Mm -hmm. Danny. Mm -hmm. um, there's like a little clip on Instagram. Is there any way to like pull that clip out and like put it in the comments of this? Because she describes meta paradigm shift the most simple and beautiful way I've ever heard. Do you remember what it is? I mean, basically, I just remember in my body mm -hmm. feeling like it's like here it all is. Mm -hmm. And you just kind of take your hands and you take all of your being and and you just be here. And you just hold and watch. And that's the meta. Breath, matter, and uh, movement. Yeah, exactly. Right. You just take a breath. You step back. You rearrange yourself. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you come back to the paradigm. Mm -hmm. Because the meta part has all, the meta paradigm, the meta is the shift. Mm -hmm. It's like you shift at the meta level, mm -hmm. and then like you come back to the paradigm, and it's just kind of like you have different hands. It's like you're apply you step back, mm -hmm. you do stuff with your hands, I guess, and then mm -hmm. you come back and you're applying different hands to the same paradigm, but all around it, if like we're all touching the ball, mm -hmm. and we all step back and we all kind of like get grounded beneath like the earth beneath our feet and the skies mm -hmm. above. We all sink to like natural astrology and we're mm -hmm. like living in a community where we don't have calendars, we have mm -hmm. starboards, right? And mm -hmm. then we come back and we put our hands on the ball. Like we'd all be filled with like a totally new rhythm, a new paradigm. But it happened, the shift happened outside of or above or mm -hmm. below meta. Mm -hmm. uh, that is not how she described it. She described it much more simply. Um, I've never read the, I mean... Uh, I have never read the foreword with so much um, <clears throat> emotional. Mm -hmm. um, and when I did that, when I was like filled with emotion or energy moving in me, mm -hmm. it's so much more like popped out in my eyes that I, I probably I can't get into now. But I do want to say one thing about like the second the second sentence. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> His name, Beautiful Painted Arrow, means flight of the rainbow people leaving their mark as they travel into a double rainbow, connecting Mother Earth and Father Sky. Um, this Just this concept of Mother, Father, Earth, and Sky. Um, I've also heard Mother Cosmos and Father Ground. Um, the collapsing of dualism mm -hmm. and as we were talking about like the cycles of receding and hijacking or uh, rise and fall of civilization um, I just think about like the father or the um, patriarchal mm -hmm. story or paradigm mm -hmm. is like um, it's the it's like the sun it's like the rise and the fall mm -hmm. right like empires and then the empire falls mm -hmm. or like the civilization builds and then it crumbles mm -hmm. um and, and i think and then i was thinking about like the ancient like the mother goddess cultures mm -hmm. and the story of that uh, like the story that i that i like have committed to studying is like where you know like where is the rise and fall of like the Maybe like ancient Egypt mm -hmm. was like like this pinnacle of like the worshiping the mother goddess. Maybe, I don't know, 
but it seems like the the suffering or like the there isn't as much of a rise and a fall mm -hmm. with like the 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 mother the matriarchal story it's just this kind of like underlying like it's there sometimes and then it goes into hiding right like the the rosary and mm -hmm. the virgin mary like all of these are emanations of isis and the rosary is like an emanation of creating garlands of roses to offer isis so it's like that never fell it never fell away it just kind of like went deeper into hiding so I'm just thinking, like, like the moon and the sun, so the father, like patriarchal civilizations having these peaks and falls and peaks and falls, mm -hmm. but then the matriarchal civilizations kind of more like ebbing and flowing, like being here and then going into hiding, mm -hmm. and like having like secrecy and mystery and then revealing and unveiling a little bit. It's like, I, I don't know, I had that picture. Right. And then the rainbow people connecting, connecting it all. Like, just collapsing collapsing the fact that there's two different rhythms, that there's a mother or a father to worship, and just, like, the oneness mm -hmm. that's available in the rainbow. So, anyways, I'll let you read. Um, <laughs> I want to respond to that, but I'm not going to. Oh, come on, respond. Um, so, what, where my, what hooks into my mental space when I hear this, both from knowing what the story is about mm -hmm. and then also getting into the introduction which you just read, is there is a reframing of the historical bad guys uh, and bad stuff. Yeah. So like, this is oh, a very, yes. this is like a Genghis Khan story. Yes, yes. And in this story, Genghis Khan is the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, our forward author is talking about, like, yeah, we're going to burn this mf -er down. <laughs> and this is beautiful. Yes. Yes. And, like, that, yes. that is, that is, uh, and, like, the, that's what I take that, that sentence which you read, where, you know, we're the arrow, the double, like, there's this. We are the rainbow people. There is a certain... There's a certain way of being, and I'm, 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 I'm trying to be thoughtful with how I want to say this, but there's an expression in this realm, whatever this realm is, like, because you're right, there's like the, the, there are all these different civilizations which are always warring, whether it's a, mm -hmm. mater, a, matri, a, a, a matriarchal. matriarchal or patriarchal or yeah. what have you, like, but there is this, like, this, this, like, warring or there's this fall, all this sort of stuff, the right and the wrong and the, and then there's this other group, it's like, we're just going to burn that mafford down. <laughs> I don't care. But, like, there is a, there's an attitude mm -hmm which is beyond the dualism, which is uh -huh. like, this is the one, and this is part of it. Uh -huh. And it's like, we're going to, anything that's not, this is what the purifier is, the uh, purifier. And, uh. and so that is, like, that's a reframing of a story. It's like, you could very well see how these purifiers, the purifiers are coming now, the purifiers are all around us. And it's like, these are the ones who are destroying, who are, who are like, we're going to bring around the collapse. And that could be really, really scary, mm -hmm. and that could be really whatever. And like to truly be in the state of ecstasy, like a bear, says like I don't care because I'm being carried by something else. Yeah. 
which is beyond that. Or and, mm -hmm. both and. Both and. I care, I care so deeply. My care and my love is so deeply integrated into my being that I am held. Yes. Secure yes. Outside of all this. Right. I'm not attached. Right. Or I, I don't identify with any of Right. And the rainbow people, and the the punks, I want to mm -hmm. say, like the right. the rebels, the, right. the destroyers, right. and the rainbow people are on the same team. Yeah. They're the same person. Right. 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 And so I think of like you know, some of the warring that we see today right. is like, those people, they're so destructive with their attitudes, with their blah, 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 like um, shooting things down sometimes, um, whether it's on Facebook or whether it's like the government shooting things out of the sky. Um, and then there's like the like love and light, like kind of rainbow people. I'm like, right. I'm talking to two extremes here, right. but they tend to see each other as enemies. Mm -hmm. Like if you just remove yourself from it all, like they're kind of they're like on the same team, but it's impossible for them to see that they're on the same team mm -hmm. because the way that they're going about it is mm -hmm. so different. But they're both purifiers. Mm -hmm. One is a destroying, a destructive, burning purification, and one is like a very like earthy, airy kind of like building and like you know mm -hmm. high vibration low vibration like they're both vibrations right anyways i'll stop there because we want to get to the aim we, we haven't even gotten to the first chapter <laughs> we got to chapter one there's a there's a part in this in the story and i'll, I'll point it out later okay. where it specifically is referring to the cons and um, them being like destructive but then at the same time the the kindest people at the same time yeah. and and there's and I want to come back to the mm -hmm. point you just made when okay. we get there in the future so I'm gonna begin it was almost as if he appeared out of nowhere holding the mysterious object in his hand but they had a name for the place where he came from Hyper, Hyperborea 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 to Greeks living near the Mediterranean over 2,500 years ago was the beyond the was the beyond of the beyond. It was the land that lay to the furthest north or far, far east on the other side of the frozen mountains from where the bitter winds will blow. Mm. To get there was simple. You walk until you reach the limit of your ability and there's no way you could go any possibly further. And then you start walking. It is a world of perfect contradiction. Mm. The land that dreams are made of, but that no ordinary human would ever dream of thinking to go. This is the place a Barris appeared from, or at least that is how he came to be called. And just the same as with the other remarkable people who seem half human, half something else as they moved among the Greeks, he also had a nickname he was known by. He was Skywalker. But there is something I almost forgot. When Abaris Skywalker arrived, he was traveling in a trance. Mm. As he went around Greece, he walked in a state of ecstasy, holding a god inside of him, mm. the god Apollo. Oh my, already. Already. <clears throat> no one knows anymore quite what to do about avarice. 
Of course, there have been the experts who are quick to dismiss him as completely unreal, as nothing but an ancient fantasy or a mythical phantom, not even worth a second thought. And then there are those who have agreed there must be something more to him than that. They argue that he clearly has the markings and the makings of a shaman, of one of those strange, uncontrollable healers and mystics found across the world, but especially familiar in the areas around Siberia and Central Asia. As for where he came from, though, and why and how, it appears nobody knows. Hardly a word is written or spoken about him nowadays, as I'm sure he would have it. But when there is such an all-embracing silence, this is not always because there is nothing to be said. Sometimes it can be because to look too closely would mean starting to see things that fall outside the frames of our understanding. After all, history, our history, is not so much a matter of what is remembered or repeated as of the things we prefer to leave unsaid. We have that highlighted and circled. So I will take a deep breath and move straight into a saying, into saying a bit about Aber's Skywalker. His mystery is an easy one to solve, but it leaves behind a far greater one, the mystery of our own past, of the history we have forgotten of who we are. After all, history, our history, is not so much a matter of what is remembered or repeated as of the things we prefer to leave unsaid. The things we prefer to leave unsaid. What is what? It, what, what was the what's the line before that? Our history. Our history. Yeah. Our history. What? I'm just gonna cut out the one line and say our history is a matter of the things we prefer to leave unsaid. Our history is a preference of what we prefer to leave unsaid. So think about something that you prefer to leave unsaid. Right. Like dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. So our history is a whitewash. Oh, totally. Well, there's definitely that. Like, that's what he's saying right there. Right. And so I'm going to go, and I'm going to tell you that that's what the story's about, is the stuff you prefer not to know about. So this, not so much, so not so much, like, typically when we think of, like, history as a whitewash, it's like, let me go and tell you that... The, the, the Ford Motor Company funded the Nazis or something mm -hmm. or like or something like that. Like we think about it like those le in the or at least I do, like most conspiratory theorists ah. think about it like in this very like yes. kind of like simple yes. like oh we're we're where history has eliminated this inconvenient truth. But this story I think is more so pointing to the fact that what we prefer not to talk about are Bigger are, are yes. even bigger yes. points yes. than something as simple as like whitewashing, and then all the conspiracies right. that come up from pulling out the right. facts that have been whitewashed. Right. 
but if you're pulling up the facts that have been whitewashed, they no longer hold their coherency right. because of what's been done to them. So now right. you have just a bunch of conspiracy stories. Right. And I don't know if you've said this on podcasts other places yet, but we've been talking about the post-conspiracy blah, 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 mm -hmm. right? Meta-paradigm shift, right. post-conspiracy, getting out of the whitewashing, getting out of the stories, out of the conspiracies. Mm -hmm out of the apocalypse mindset and into an even deeper version of like what you just said, what the bigger, mm -hmm. even bigger thing right. that we've preferred to left unsaid. Right, right. And I would say that, um, or I would add, I was just writing about this, I wrote about it a week or two ago in my blog, that I have such a deep appreciation now where before I was like, I'd be like angry, like why have we left this stuff unsaid? But it's left unsaid because spoken word is not, you know, I think of like how in some sects of Judaism, like they won't write the name of God or say the name of God because to even write it or speak it is to like take away its magic. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I get the sense that that's what he's talking about, mm. is that there's parts of history that we can't remember, record, or repeat because mm -hmm. they're so sacred and they're so potent mm -hmm. that just even to pass them down is going to take away from them. Mm -hmm. But here we are, us uh, alchemist mystery dwellers poking right. around. Poking around <laughs> in this spot. All right. Skywalker. Abrus cut a striking figure as he arrived, foreigner from a mythical land. But he was not the only strange person who, at around the same time, happened to be traveling in a state of trance, mm -hmm. either out of the northeastern edges of Greece toward the home of Hyperboreans, or back in the opposite direction towards Greece. They too were ecstatic servants of Apollo. And with these other figures, you can tell their itinerary more clearly than the case of Avarice. After leaving Europe and everything familiar far behind, eventually they came to the region of the Altai Mountains in Central Asia. And the other side of those mountains, beyond the gateway of Central Asia, which opens out onto the vastness now known to us as Eastern Siberia and Mongolia, as China and Tibet, was Hyperborea, Abaris's home. That brings us to the word itself. I, I don't know if you notice that I do this, but I change my enunciations of words all the time midway. I don't do that on purpose, it just happens, and I catch myself saying it. And so Abaris and Abaris. Yeah. Abaris and Abaris. Yeah. Okay. I like Abaris. It sounds I softer in my it sounds softer in my ears. Okay. But it always comes out differently. Abaris. Right. Okay. Right. That was for the that was for abs. the listeners at home. Abs. There we abs. go. Yeah. Abs. Core. Core. People's names can often tell us a great deal about them, and Abaris is not a Greek name at all. On the contrary, the only other times you will ever find it mentioned in the Greek language, it always happens to be used as the name for a mysterious group of people whose origins disappear into the past but who first came to be talked and written about by their ancient neighbors, the Chinese. Today, they are known as the Avars. Ah. And this is precisely what, in Greek, the name Abaris means, the Avar. Mm. 
As for the Avar's ancestral home, the source of their culture and their traditions and skills, it was Mongolia. That leaves us with one more detail, Avarice's nickname. A long time ago in a world very different from our own, before the word Skywalker had become so familiar because of the film industry and thanks to popular influence from the mythology of Tibet, the very same name was well known in two countries. One was Tibet, the other Mongolia. Mm. And aside from being a standard way of describing someone with magic powers beyond anything human, mm. in those regions it had a second sense as well. Skywalker also meant arrow. Uh, uh -huh. I just want a quick review for, for listeners. Um, Hyperborea mm -hmm. is where Avers is from. Mm -hmm. And Hyperborea, it means arm of awareness, moving straight as an arrow, leaving as it travels sparks of delight, a sun giving placement to a pure, pure clarity. S-U-N, S-O-N. S-U-N. And then Aber Skywalker means creator of trails made of wisdom, to follow to find heavenly streams of light. And the Avars, <clears throat> uh, the Avars means to come from the heavens to wash the nighttime moons. So we've just kind of touched on mystery one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to like recap that. When Aberus came, he was carrying an arrow in his hand. Or at least it looked like an arrow. I'm wondering if it looked more like your, your arrow. Um, one of our Greek sources uses a word to describe it that could apply just as well to any sharp missile or dart. Another says the object was unusually bulky, sounding more and more like your arrow. And then there is the tradition that mentions something so strange no one could blame so many scholars for silently leaving it aside. It says Avarice's arrow was metallic, or to be more precise, was made of gold. Bronze sparks. But the fact is that even if this had been the most perfectly ordinary arrow, Greeks would still have had a hard time finding some sound reason for why he was carrying it around in his hand. Certainly they tried. Any justification for the unfamiliar will always seem better than none, and just as surely they failed, because the truth is there was nothing they could say that was going to explain Avarice's behavior away. People close to the Mediterranean were not in the habit of holding an arrow wherever they went. So the Greeks are not much help, but we are a little more fortunate than them. We already know where to look. Avars were perhaps the most skilled and effective archers the world has ever seen. Without their arrows and bows, they would never even have begun making their way west out of Mongolia. And centuries after Avaris, almost bringing Byzantium? Byzantium? Um, Byzantium. Like the Byzantine Empire? Byzantine. Okay. Byzantium. 
Let me read that sentence again. Without their arrows and bows, they would never even have begun making their way west out of Mongolia, and centuries after Abaris, almost bringing Byzantium to its knees. <clears throat> Where they came from, the science and art of archery were something so intricate we can hardly start to grasp it anymore. And for Mongols, unlike Greeks, even the bow was second in importance to the arrow. Every particular detail in the process of making arrows or using them demanded absolute attention. Each single stage of selecting the material, crafting the shaft and tip and feathers, shaping the arrow, creating, painting, finishing it, called for extraordinary care. <clears throat> Do you want to stop there? Mm. The distance they could be shot, their accuracy, were legendary. And then there is the sound. Different arrows were designed to produce different noises as they flew through the air. There were arrows to imitate the cries of different animals, to draw birds out of hiding by mimicking the calls of their mates, or the shrieks of their young, to scare all kinds of creatures so they would leave the safety of their hiding places and run from the protection of their lairs, to freeze the stags in their tracks. And during war, arrows became the core of a precisely premeditated system. Before battle, in different phases of the battle, different arrows making different sounds were shot by different leaders and commanders to signal an entire variety of instructions and commands. Wow, I've read this so many times and I've never paid attention to that paragraph. What specifically is your wow? Different arrows, different sounds by different leaders to signal an entire, like a whole variety, like mm -hmm. a whole symphony right. of instructions and commands. Like the arrows right. were making like vibrations right. and sounds, and like these warriors, like were so peaceful inside that they were picking up on like those subtle vibrations and subtle sounds of their of the arrows. This has always been my favorite part of this chapter. Like oh, where really? it talks about the arrows and the like what they could do with the arrows uh -huh. and all of that. Like I asked you, like what jumped out? Like you never because that's what I've always like zeroed in the most. Like uh -huh. this is what spoke to me in this chapter. Like I loved it. Noises and sound. Well, more so like about arrow, like the the, the whole sort of the craft, the craft and the um, the like what you were saying, like these peaceful, like peaceful. Like peaceful yeah. warrior, like in internally Felt. being at at in peace, yeah. and so like so like so in at ease that all of that sort of stuff is is communicative. Like yeah. it's not like uh, yeah yeah wow yes. So of course there was also the element of fear. Mm -hmm. Avars knew better than anybody how to terrify their enemies through sound. Mm -hmm. How to root them to the spot and stop them even starting to run away. It's like they tranced them mm -hmm. with sound. Mm -hmm. wow. The whistle and piping of arrows in flight were war's petrifying harmony. It's exquisitely orchestrated symphony of death. I did not read ahead and steal those words. It's exquisitely orchestrated symphony of death. Whew. Destruction. Mm -hmm. Chaos. 
Right. But they were filled with peace. Right. Like, that's the, like, it doesn't fit, like, common narratives. And we would judge them because we see the symphony of death. Right. And we would be like, destroyers, persecute the destroyers. Right. And they're like, we're like, like, what's that? Uh, uh, what? <laughs> and what's the funniest thing is, like, because these are the baddest MFers around. Yeah. Like, it's like, you go and feel any way you like. You're not going to do anything <laughs> to stop us. And that's what, like, in the latter part of the book, which I like so much, is it talks about how not only are the, these, like, these destroyers, but the moment there's not resistance from those that they're bringing this, this warfare to. Yeah. Like. They settle. Or they're, they're, those people are met with, with total peace. Right, right. Yeah. They settle into a group together. Apparently or so. Or, right, yes. I mean, but all of this is at the hands of, like, a shamanic calling to, to fall an empire. To right. fall it. To right. fell it. Right, right, right. This is how you fall an empire. Yeah, okay. Yes, okay. yes. That is a perfect point. This isn't a story about, like, warfare and killing people. It's like, this is the nature of empire. Yeah. Or civilization, at least. Yeah, right. Which, okay. civilization to me and empire go very much hand in hand, but that's another discussion. Yes, there's so much to say there, but I, to hold an arrow yes. was to hold the fate of many people in one's hand. So there is nothing surprising in how, for Avars as well as other Mongols, it was the arrow that became their supreme symbol of power. To carry an arrow while alive was to hold a tangible token of authority plain proof of identity, the most visible sign of mission or rank. And when the great ones died, they were honored by having arrows respectfully buried by their side. Do you want to talk about what it feels like to have a tangible token of authority? Or to be the crafter with extraordinary care? Or not yet? Not yet. Okay. Life together with death were both encoded in the arrow. And inside this whole symbolic code, one specific detail still stands out. The famous institution of the great Khan, spiritual and political leader to his people, became enormously influential as it swept from Mongolia across Central Asia into India, Persia, Eastern Europe. If we trace it back as far as we can, to its source, we are brought once again to the Avars. To the Avars, those who come from the heavens to wash the nighttime moons. And originally, when the great Khan sent out a messenger or ambassador as his official representative and envoy, he gave him a particular token to carry with him so everyone would recognize the carrier's mission and rank. There those words are again. Mission and rank. The same tradition was preserved unchanged for centuries, not only among Mongols, but also in Tibet. That token was an arrow made of gold. And this may be the best time to mention something else I came close to the edge of forgetting. Reports by Greeks about avarice are quite clear that he was much more than just some casual visitor or tourist when he happened to reach their country. In fact, they say exactly what we already might have expected to hear. They say avarice arrived on a special mission 
as ambassador to Greece from the people of Hyperborea as their official representative and envoy. Pause. Do you have anything to say? No. Okay. Now we're the last section of the chapter. Oh, is this the, la the last? This is the last reading. section. Okay. And if it seems we are near the end of the story, the truth is we've only just begun. <laughs> Nothing would be easier in our modern, splintered, fragmented world than to suppose Abaris must have arrived as ambassador with his arrow on a simple diplomatic mission so he could play some purely political role. But what happened in those days was different from the ways things are done now. And as a matter of fact, the ancient sources are very clear about the real purpose behind his coming so far. They say he was sent to the land of the Greeks as a healer. Or to be a bit more precise, they state quite plainly that he arrived as a purifier mm -hmm. and prophet to bring back balance mm. to the earth and offer each place he visited protection from the plague. In other words, when Abaris headed for the west, he was coming as a shaman. And so we are led back once again to his people, the Avars. In that part of the world they considered their ancestral home, it was normal for nomadic tribes to be particularly proud of their primordial ability to keep the places they arrived at protected from plagues. As for why they felt this, the reason is easy to understand. It was because they saw themselves, since the dawn of time, as a people of shamans. Shamanic tradition was the cover they slept under oh. every night, the ground they walked above each day. Mm. It was their strength and protection. When Avars fought, they fought not just knowing, they won not just through knowledge of weaponry, but through magic, were so hard to resist, they were masters of shamanic warfare. I'm going to read that sentence again. Mm. I think it came out weird. And it's a good one. When Avars, when Avars fought, they won not just through knowledge of weaponry, but through magic. Uh -huh were so hard to resist because they were masters of shamanic warfare. And their chief symbol, the arrow, was never just some physical object. It was alive. Mm. In the eyes of Mongols, arrows have always been magic, a magic weapon, the chief seat of shamanic power. And some arrows specifically ones made of silver or gold or stored in a metal quiver, are far more potent than any others. Legends described how, endowed through incantations with the unfailing power to find their way, they are able to clear a passage straight past insurmountable obstacles, right over impassable landscapes as they follow their own undeviating path through the air by effortlessly steering and guiding themselves. And above all, 
The arrow is an instrument allowing shamans to enter a state of ecstasy mm. for taking them s straight into another world. Do you have something to say? Uh, even if it's just a metaphor, that the arrow being, um, like at, at some point it talks about the arrow carrying, like someone's carrying the arrow, mm -hmm. but the arrow is actually carrying them. Mm -hmm. And this chapter is aim. Mm -hmm. And I just thought about mental focus mm -hmm. and the field. Okay. And how like that's like a metaphor for like the arrow. Mm -hmm. Like we are carrying it, but as, as we carry our energy, it carries us. When we when we have aim and we have focus. Okay. Um, and, um, I was thinking about like applying like some like techniques of like sexual therapy and like the mind space and like the mental the therapeutic mind stuff um, that goes along with finding states of ecstasy in the body, whether it be orgasm or just allowing the body to like ease into pleasure. It all has to do with like the mind field connection. So I'll just like pause there and just say that the arrow and ecstasy and being the holder of the arrow and the arrow carrying you is like, uh, ah! I'll just pause there because I'm sure it'll come up again to make final connections. In that state of ecstasy, things become quite clear, which are hidden from ordinary eyes. And here lies the problem if you want to approach what a shaman is or does from outside, because then you will see nothing but all the superficial forms you already are familiar with reflected right back to you. This is the tragedy of trying to understand with the mind what needs a different organ to understand. And if only historians of the Western world could see what longed to be seen, if they had just paid attention where the attention is due, they would have been saved them they would have saved themselves so much pointless fighting about Averis. <clears throat> For centuries, scholars have claimed there are two irreconcilable. Thank you. Irreconcilable. <laughs> irreconcilable. That's, That's a hard a word. word. It's a hard word it's for me to say. Word. Are two irreconcilable are two irres I'm going I'm to be able to say it. There are two irreconcilable accounts of his arrival in the West. Hmm. Then they battle with each other to the point of silent exhaustion over which of these two ancient Greek accounts is correct. One is the tradition that says Iberus was carrying the arrow. The other says that the arrow was carrying Iberus finding its own path for him, guiding him without ever deviating or failing, clearing a passage for him to pass every obstacle and across insurmountable landscapes, steering him on his way around the earth with as little effort as if he were carrying, if it were lifting him right through the air. But they're both correct. The two accounts are not contradictory at all. On the contrary, they are simply different aspects of one intricate, original tradition, just like the opposite sides of a single coin. As to how its two sides belong together, there is no need to look too far for our answer. 
All we have to remember is one basic shamanic principle. For those who carry an object of power in their hand are carried by it. Mm. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> A barris holds the arrow so it can take him wherever he needs to go. To us, this may sound very strange, but only because we've learned to forget the way things appear to us outwardly is often the exact opposite of a deeper truth. Mm. And in the case of Iberis, things could be more natural. And in the case of Iberis, nothing could be more natural or more urgently necessary than this intimate connection between his arrow and him. The man has been taken by a state of ecstasy, is mm. absorbed in a different world. It should be obvious to anybody that, with his attention fixed on another reality, and without something in, his, in this one to hold on or guide him, he would be utterly lost before his journey ever began. Now we can understand why, for Tibetans, the word Skywalker means both arrow and a shaman. Mm. The point here is just is not just that shamans move as swiftly and easily as arrows, but that only with the help of their arrow are they able to move at all. Mm. Without the power of an arrow, the shaman can do nothing because an arrow is the symbol of what a shaman must become. The aim. The aim. I mean, I said that, but that's what you were saying before. Can you just say that sentence then one more time? Without the power of an arrow, the shaman can do nothing because an arrow is the symbol of what the shaman must become. The aim. So what must the shaman become? The connection, the thread. Yeah, the, the aim, the whatever it is they're the to do. The, the, Become the mission, embody the mission itself. Right, and as we see, the mission is the, the, move, the movement. Live your lifestyle right. in accordance with your mission. Oh my gosh, there's so well, much. Continue. And here, too, is the reason why Tibetans use the very same word for referring to someone immersed in a state of ecstasy. In that state, the tip of an arrow becomes the point of one's whole existence. The intense focus demanded on an arrow maker, unable even for a moment to turn away to the right or left, is also the one-pointedness essential for shooting an arrow at its mark. And is the same straight points and the same single pointedness needed for seeing straight through appearances into a reality where everything is one. Mm. I'm gonna read that again. Mm -hmm. Please. So the arrow or the focus which provides this one pointedness is the same single pointedness needed. So all of this like focus, this aim, all of that. And in the crafting of it as well. Yes. This is what is needed for seeing straight through the appearances into mm. an appearance where real, uh, it. F this is what's needed for seeing straight through appearances into a reality where everything is one. So, okay, let's bring this back to like the apocalypse. So the fear is like, oh my God, it's collapsing. Oh my God, where are we? Da, 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 da. Appearances. Appearances. Are all appearances. Yes. So in order to have that one single pointedness to see like, no, this is all just part of this one dance. Mm -hmm. 
And you need to be so focused on whatever this one thing is that you're doing, like all of that other stuff, it doesn't matter. Like, yes, that's happening. Yes. But in order to go through that, yes. you need to, and you need to have that single focusness on the bigger picture, that other reality, where, yeah, this is all just part of the same one thing. And that single focus is you. Mm -hmm. or that single focus is me. Mm -hmm. And we have a direct connection to that oneness. Mm -hmm. When we carry the out, <laughs> when we carry, <laughs> I was trying to go so deep inside myself. When we carry and embody the aim, mm -hmm. we are the aim. Yes. And when we keep that focus, when we stay grounded, mm -hmm. earth beneath our feet, skies above. So we have the support of all those natural planetary body rhythms to help us stay grounded in our focus mm -hmm. and aligned with the aim. Now we are the oneness. We can actually embody the oneness and that state of stillness. And that is what we were talking about at the beginning, is that ecstasy. I'm going to add one question. Uh -huh. I don't know if you want to go there. Yeah. No, I want to go. Go, go. For what purpose? <sighs> what is this about? A story waiting to pierce you. Bringing down the <laughs> whole friggin' show. <laughs> that is not what I would have said. I would have said something like uh, embodying a state of love. Oh, oh, so bringing down the show and putting the show up, building mm -hmm. the set, mm -hmm. like no matter what you're doing, doing it with love. Love is both. Love is both destroying the show and creating the show. That's why these are like the most ruthless, like purifiers and the kindest of people. Like, yes. it's, like it's like, it's the same story. It's yes. the Kali story. It's the, like, the, yes. like that sort of, yes. Collapsing the dualism. Collapse. Why? Collapsing that you said, why do any of right. this? Like, why, why get grounded? Why create your arrow? Be in alignment, be centered, be focused. Like, why bother putting all your energy into that? Because it feels good. Who doesn't want to feel good? And it allows you to feel good even when you feel bad. In suffering, in destruction, or creativity. Like, the whole idea is... Well, I was going to say, you just went back to the... To the the grotto quote. <gasps> yes. Like you just told that story from another perspective of thy, the suffering is good. Thy own soul and right. sword will pierce thee. Right. Yeah. All right. We've got one more paragraph. Okay. There you are, the shaper and shooter of yourself. There it is. The target and the goal. Everything begins as it ends in that moment. Outside of time, when the arrow is shot straight into your heart and penetrates the whole of your being. <laughs> and there, where the shaman becomes nothing, uh. is the magical point from which all good things come. All good things come. Mm-hmm. Can, I, can we just read? Can, can we just read that that last part one more time? That that both. Everything begins. Everything. everything begins as it ends in that moment. Outside of time. When the arrow is shot straight into your heart, and penetrates the whole of your being. 
there, when the arrow goes straight into the heart and penetrates the whole of your being, mm -hmm. outside of time, mm -hmm. in, in there mm -hmm. is where the shaman becomes nothing. That's the ecstasy. That's the trance. Yes. There's no longer me. There's no longer, like, I'm a barris. I'm no longer this individual on this mission. Mm -hmm. The shaman becomes nothing mm -hmm. as a magical point from which all good things come. He becomes everything. Yeah. Because you become part of the oneness. That mm -hmm. is everything. Which is receding and receding. Receding. Yeah. Some people are receders and some people are receding. Like with the S or the C. Ah, yes. You're the destroyer or the planner. Oh, the receders are the destroyers. Well, the, the ones that are pulling it back. Pulling, uh -huh. Like, I mean, I'm using receive like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like I'm pulling it back. And like, then the receders are the ones going in and planting seeds. Yeah, because it's always going around and around. Right. And, right. It's like the waves. Yes. Yes. I just love that. The, that the, I, when I read the, the Mother Mary plaque quote, mm -hmm. I didn't realize that there was a line mm -hmm. in the first chapter that synced up so specifically. Mm. Like, I just want to read that one more time. All right. Right next, like, right since we just were on that. Thy own soul a sword shall pierce. Thy own soul. Thy own soul a sword shall pierce. My own soul, a sword shall pierce. What was the line before that? <clears throat> Shortly after Christ's birth, the aged prophet Simeon, while holding the infant Savior in his arms, promised Mary a life filled with suffering. For her or for him? Both of them. So this is what? Here's a prophet. He's holding your baby. Oh, your baby's so beautiful. <laughs> I'm an elder and I'm a prophet. <laughs> Look me deep in the eyes. I promise you this. A life suffering. I'm sure he said it with much more beauty and love in his eyes. I'm just like painting a picture. I'm painting a picture. I'm painting a picture of like what's being like communicated. Yeah. And like there's multiple. Okay, yeah. so go on. So he says, I promise you this, a life full of suffering. Thy own soul a sword shall pierce. Thy own soul, thy? Thy own, your own soul a sword shall pierce. Whose sword? I, I read it almost as if like your soul mm -hmm. is going to pierce. Right. And it's going to pierce you. Right, right. The arrow, your arrow that you crafted is going to go into your heart. When the heart. arrow is shot, it's straight into your heart. That's what this is saying. Yes, yes, yes. yes I thought the same those thing. Are yes, the two there we go. Yes. And that's the story of Avarice, and that's the story of Christ, and that's the story of Mother Mary, and that's the story of you and I, and that's the story of some of our listeners. Are there, are there anyone who it's not the story of? I don't think so. But I think there are some people that, like, are aware deeply aware of like that's the story okay and that's really hard for some people what and, is hard uh to carry that story to carry that story to carry that suffering mm. but I, I, the hope in this and the love in this and the 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 freedom in this is that we all carry that story and we can find there's a spirit of consolation in sharing that story with each other. And the Essene community, the Magdalene Essene community, that carried out the drama of the crucifixion, because it wasn't just a one-man job, mm -hmm. 
it was an inside job within a community, a small community from Mother Mary, from Mother Mary's birth. It was known that this woman would be born and would bear a son that would be crucified under the Roman um, Empire. So I think that's the consolation, the hope and the love behind the suffering and the ecstasy, the destruction and the creation, that thing underneath that carries the mystery mm -hmm. or the, the, the stream, the ravine, the river, the thing that catches and, and carries is just, maybe it's as simple as connection, like being intimately connected with one another. Right? Because like when we tap in and we're like in the like ecstasy and we're like in that state of oneness, right? Like where we're beyond ourselves but in our bodies mm -hmm. and we're very aware of how like I am that tree and that tree is me. Like also very practically just being in like intimate community with one another is a very real grounded way of carrying out, embodying the mission. Like they were saying, like they craft the arrow, mm -hmm. they carry the arrow. The arrow, the mission becomes them. Mm -hmm. And so we got to be really careful about like how we craft our mission and how we carry our mission. Because it, the idea is that it becomes you. Hmm. And you could, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people out there that have like a really specific mission that then, like, it kind of, like, just destroys them. Mm. You know, just, just, just their being. And that's fine. Maybe I, I would say it's, like, a waste of energy. And, like, so there's, like, one less person to, like, be, like, holding the paradigm. And, and, and maybe that's, that's good, because they don't want to pull their hands back and have this meta shift together and come back and then just place different hands on this ball of energy that we're all tapping from and we can if we can all tap the energy in like harmony and unison and collaboration and support of one another and understanding like we can carry out all of these rhythms all these rises and falls we can carry them out with more and like the last chapter in this book is endless joy I would say the Magdalene, Magdalene Essene community, like the stories that I've read, um, despite the crucifixion, despite losing their like most treasured leader, um, for the most intimate part of the community, they lost, they lost their lover, their beloved, like Yeshua, and despite that, like they kept coming back with an endless joy, because they had each other, because they were all tapped in and holding life together. Hmm. Anyways, I could go on and on about it. <laughs> I'll write my own book, my own story to pierce my own soul. Anything? Would you like to say anything? Um, I think that's a good place to end. Okay. The chapter one. <laughs> chapter one. Okay. The end. The end. Mm -hmm. Chapter one. Yes. Thank you for listening watching us go on and on. <laughs> <laughs>